All right, all right, all right. I got something for you guys tonight. This is big. You guys know that love story movie where he's like, what do you want? You don't even know what you want. We, we fight. That's what we do. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come on. The red-haired girl, the kind of tall guy, they fall in love their whole life, but there's another guy involved. You, you guys have got to know my impression was good. That's how passionate I am right now. It's 1.30 a.m. and I'm making a podcast because this needs to be said. This is something I've never talked about and I didn't even know until the last week. Never even knew it. Because it's 1.30 a.m., I'm going to mess up this episode. I'm probably only going to say half of what needs to be said, but you guys are smart enough now to fill in the blanks. This is what happens lately is I make a podcast episode and by the end, I'm like, oh man, I forgot to say this, this, and this. But then I'm like, it's like the bird that gets kicked out of the nest. You know, they spread their wings, they fill in the blanks. Like, I, I can't be the perfect podcaster for you guys forever. You know what I'm saying? At some point, y'all are like, huge birds still in the nest like as big as the mama bird and y'all are not flying out of the nest so you're gonna have to fly out of the nest some at some point i want to see you guys flying maybe you fall for the first 10 feet out of the tree then you're flying all right so here's the topic you have to let mold avoidance surprise you There's two reasons for this. Number one, things are always changing. You cannot get too comfortable. And number two, you are never smart enough to outsmart the basic toolbox of mold avoidance. What do I mean by that? It's not a matter of smart enough or intelligence. It's just a matter of the fundamental principles getting masked, getting remasked. Okay, so here's what just happened to me. Basically, bottom line of the podcast, take sabbaticals, do sabbaticals. I don't know if they need to be long or short or far away, just do them. So I just did a sabbatical, an unintentional sabbatical. A lot of you guys know I went to LA. I've done a lot of mold avoidance in LA over the years and don't make assumptions. I know you think LA is just some big, horrible city. It's really not. Um, San Diego is a big, horrible city because it's loaded with MT. LA is a lot more spotty. There's good blocks. There's bad blocks. There's places that are pretty good. You know, I just came back from a month in LA and none of my stuff is contaminated. I didn't even change my sheets. Okay. Um, and you guys are probably gonna say, well, how do you know your sheets are, aren't bad, Brian? Take a sabbatical. Shut up. Just shut up. Okay. So here's the thing. This sabbatical surprised me. There were some objects that I thought would be bad when I got back. Because see, you know, you guys, I, I'm, I'm not so dumb. Like, I know. I'm smarter than I was five years ago. I know that I took a sabbatical. And when I left, I was like, I'm kind of taking a sabbatical. But here's where I went wrong. I thought to myself, oh, well, I already know what's going on. I'm smart. I've got mold avoidance skills, right? Now, in some areas you have mold avoidance skills. In other areas, thinking that you have mold avoidance skills is actually bad. <laughs> it's actually bad. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a little side story here. Let's say that you are a private pilot who knows how to fly a small airplane, which I actually am. 
I got my pilot's license at age 17, flew for about three years, and then lost my, my, my currency, being current. I couldn't fly anywhere after that. haven't flown since. If you have those pilot skills and you are on a commercial flight and the pilot dies of a heart attack and you rush to the front of the plane to try to help save the 100 people on board, those few skills you have may actually be bad because you will become overconfident and think, oh, I can land this plane. One of the things my flight instructor told me that is different about flying a jet versus a small private plane is that those big jet engines take like three or four seconds to spool up. He called it spooling up. It's basically getting power, getting forward movement. So you always have to be three or four seconds ahead of what's going on. And that would also come into play with giving yourself safety margins and decision points, stuff like that. Whereas in a smaller plane, it's like maybe half a second to get power. So your skills as a private pilot might harm you if you think you know too much. And that's very specific to sabbaticals. This is what happened to me. I had started to make assumptions over the years about what was going on with my situation, my objects, stuff like that. And I, when I left for that trip, I was sure that I knew what I would get when I got back. I, w- I knew I was taking a sabbatical. I was like, I'm smart. This, this might be like a sabbatical. Hey, look, I'm leaving for, you know, a month, whatever. Like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty smart. This is going to be a sabb- sabbatical, right? Like that, that's, that's what I knew to be the case. But I didn't actually expect it to be a sabbatical <laughs> because what is the purpose of a sabbatical? Go ahead, enlighten me. The purpose of a sabbatical is to find out what is unknown. It's to find out if, for example, your house is making you sick. If you already knew your house was making you sick, you wouldn't need a sabbatical. So I was actually an idiot. Okay, maybe the language is too too strong. I wouldn't call you guys an idiot, but I'm going to call myself an idiot because I can identify as whatever I want and I'm identifying as an idiot. Wait, did I take that too far? I don't know, but I can, right? I can identify as an idiot. So maybe I actually am an idiot or maybe I'm just identifying as an idiot. You decide. Anyway, I knew I was taking a sabbatical, but I didn't know what a sabbatical means. I had lost the meaning of a sabbatical. The meaning of a sabbatical is that you might become masked without knowing it. You might become masked without knowing it, right? Because if you knew it, you wouldn't need to be unmasked. So now this was not life-changing for me. It did cause me to move forward and benefit in some very important ways that I'm very happy about that needed to happen. And um, it did feel somewhat like my first mold sabbatical five years ago. Now, before you freak out and you're like, what do you mean, Brian? Like, you're telling me that, you know, you have to just do this over and over again. This approach doesn't work. You just are spending your end, your life in these endless sabbatical cycles, blah, blah, blah. Not really. The damage, the expense, the inconvenience, the heartache, the stress, the anguish, the confusion, all of that, I would say after this one month sabbatical was about 3% of what it was on my first sabbatical, right? 3%. Um, now I'm not, I'm not exaggerating and trying to make a point either way. I'm not, I'm not underestimating or overestimating that. That's my honest 
estimate. As my kids always say, hand on a Bible. We got in this horrible habit of saying hand on a Bible for <laughs> when we're trying to tell the other family member that, hey, look, we're really serious. We're being honest. My, my daughter's like, why are we saying hand on a Bible? That's that's disrespectful to God. And it it, it is. But in this particular case, I'm going to say hand on a Bible. I would, I would, because it's important. I think God understands that, that I need to tell the truth here or so you guys can trust this. So I would estimate the, the damage, the impact, the anguish, the stress, the expense, everything is about 3%. That doesn't mean it's not important though. It doesn't mean it's not important though. And I don't want to just make this podcast 40 minutes. So I'm not going to go into all the specifics because they will vary in your situation. You will know it when you run across it. Now, why, why? Would a sabbatical result in in this happening to to three percent or five percent or you know some of you guys are at the stage where it might be fifty percent or twenty percent, right? Like you leave a, a, a rental property that you're renting maybe two years into Moldavoidance instead of five, and you come back and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so slammed. This is such a big deal. I got to throw away my furniture, whatever, right? So it could be anywhere between zero and a hundred percent. It's probably never going to be a hundred percent of what your original sabbatical was because hopefully you've made some progress. But why would you have anything happen? Why wouldn't it just be a zero? Because you're already doing mold avoidance. You're already, you're already smart. You're already on the path. Well, of course, there's a lot of reasons. There, there's going to be continued toxicity. It could be toxicity that you are detoxing out still from years of being sick. It could be toxicity that is being created in your own body by all of the random infections that come with this disease that produce their own endogenous toxins. I had to look up that word a few years ago. Endogenous means from the inside out. So it could be from infections that you have, parasites, viruses, bacteria, whatever, that are hopefully decreasing over time. Uh, A lot of people believe that HT is one of these types of toxins that's an endogenous toxin. It could be bad bug toxin, which if you don't know what that means, search the forums, my forum, Lisa's, whatever. Um, It could be that you are still toting around some objects that you shouldn't be toting around or, are you ready for this one? This one's really going to blow your socks off. Or maybe the last time you left a space or a place, you actually were a good little boy or girl and you didn't bring anything, but when you were cleaning out your previous space you were absorbing toxins as you were, you know, because every time you move from point A to point B to point C, um, even if you take a shower, you know, buy some new clothes or whatever, when you were leaving and abandoning that previous post, um, you're you're, you're absorbing toxins there while you're cleaning up and moving out. And then when you get to your new place that is so pristine and beautiful and you did the whole thing where you left everything behind, you're exhaling and detoxing into the new place, right? So this is a continuum, a spectrum that you, it's sort of like a stair step down process that you are leaving behind a lot of these toxins, which, which everybody knows, but I'm hopefully nailing down a little bit of this for you. So you're, 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 you're leaving. I remember thinking, and this is, this is obvious stuff. Okay. You know, I remember thinking that each time we left a place, the next time was able to be a little bit progressively longer. It was like, oh, we only lasted three days in that place, but this place we lasted 10 days and then we lasted 30 days and then we lasted 60 days and then we lasted six six months and then we lasted a year and we lasted two years. Oh, and then we don't even have to leave at all, right? 
when you hit the point where you don't have to leave at all, what tends to happen is the the place isn't bad. The whole property, area, hotel room, whatever, you just encounter objects of certain size, dimensions, properties, or whatever that tend to just accumulate this stuff. There does tend to be a tipping point. This is why I have heard, it's, I just heard it said recently by someone who's very smart that living in a larger apartment or a larger condo or a larger property helps longer term healing and tolerance. And it makes total sense, right? Because the more space you have, it, it, I heard a saying once, dilution is the solution to pollution. Have you guys ever heard that? I bet you haven't. See, dilution is the solution to pollution, right? Um, my foot doctor told me that when I had this horrible incurable infection when I was really sick. Dilution is the solution to pollution. So the more space, the more you can spread out, the more, you know, whatever, the, the less likely you are going to be um, affected as quickly and the more likely you can stay at a place longer. As an aside, I'm actually excited that I remember to put this in the podcast because this is really important and really interesting. Um, everybody, so there's an RV that that all the mold avoiders like called the Casita, which of course you've heard me talk about. And I'm not the first one who figured out the Casitas are good for mold avoidance. I don't take any credit for that. Um, but Casitas are covered in carpet on the walls on the ceiling. Now I'm going to blow your socks off with something here. Okay. Or you already saw my post on the forums and your socks were already blown off and they're so far away that you're like, where the heck are my socks? Everyone says carpet is bad. This is like the common thing. And it, it, you know, the first rule of mold avoidance is don't make assumptions. Don't make theories or philosophies that you just hold to like they're doctrine, right? Carpet is bad. It drives me crazy because you get these new people joining groups and they're like, oh, I can't buy a casita because of the carpet. And you're like, what, 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 is there a question in there? Do, do you want my help? Like, it, it's like, it, it ties your brain in a knot. And as you're trying to untie the knot, you just give up, go have a beer and play Fortnite for the rest of the day, which I do. I played Fortnite for like eight hours today. I, I do apologize. Um, but it's like, wait, what, what did you wait? Why is carpet bad? But they usually add a few more assumptions to that line of thinking. They're like, you know, they, they, they make it. So it, it literally just ties your brain in a knot. They're like, Oh, the knots are not big enough. Let's, let's tie it in a bigger knot. And so they say, Oh, I could never buy a casita with the carpet unless you tell me what cleaning solution to use. And you're like, Whoa, 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 whoa. sure. Yeah. You can clean, you could clean your, your, your walls and your casita, but, but let's back up a second. Like, wait, what did you say about carpet? Like, it's like, slow down. So I had this new theory. Now, this is an original theory to me. I've never heard anyone say this before. Maybe someone has, but I'm going to take credit until someone steps forward and says, hey, that belongs to me. And then I will gladly forfeit my credit. But people do well in casitas. It's just a fact, right? It's just a fact. So I had this thought that maybe the carpet is actually good, not just bad or neutral, but actually good. Wait, what? I coined this new phrase, casita carpet Karens. You know, Karens that like squawk and yell in public and stuff. There are these people that do that with the carpet on the wall of the casita. I call them casita carpet Karens. And all the casita carpet Karens, I'm actually going to make them even more mad because I'm going to say that I think the carpet in the casita is actually good. Here's why. We already know that plastic absorbs mold, right? We have all kinds of examples of this. Um, we know that 
cholesteramine, which is sometimes abbreviated CSM, is plastic. And you, you take it orally if your doctor approves it. Not me, I'm not a doctor. And it, it literally binds to the mold. And we, all, we know that plastic items can become contaminated very easily. And we know that I used to have these RVs that had plastic floors. And whenever I would walk on them when they're brand new, it, I, it would actually literally feel good. Like it was detoxing you to walk on the plastic. People talk about getting new shoes that are made mostly out of plastic and rubber. This is common knowledge that plastic absorbs mold. Now that can be bad if you bring a casita into a really bad location because it is made out of fiberglass, which is basically plastic. And because the, the walls are carpet, which is basically plastic, you might really wreck it right? Like that can happen. I'm not saying it can't, but, but we have to confront the brutal fact that people do well in casitas, right? Like that's a fact. And so I was, instead of trying to reverse engineer my theory, starting with an answer and then trying to find the right hypothesis, which is what most people do. They, they say carpet is bad. And then they try to reverse engineer why carpet is bad. I'm actually trying to do the opposite. I'm saying, well, actually carpet is good at least it's good for a lot of moldavoiders who are in casitas, right? And so I'm like, hmm, I wonder why that is. And so to make a long story short, I think that it's possible that because the carpet has so much surface area, if you think about a flat, smooth wall compared to a carpeted wall, the carpet obviously is, has tons of little fibers and nooks and crannies. It's probably 50 times the surface area. So th this carpet could actually be absorbing the, the mold that we're detoxing, right? There's a lot of surface area for it to do that. So as we're breathing out mold and detoxing and sweating and all this other stuff, it's going into the casita walls and getting bound up there and getting out of your body. Now, of course, that might lead to the casita going bad one day, right? Like that can happen. Um, but it, it doesn't happen <laughs> very much. It, or at least it, as compared to other RVs, people do well in casitas. It's just you know, you just, I never have heard of a single mold avoider doing poorly in a casita. I really don't think I have. I just don't think I have. I can't, I'm jogging my memory. There are a few people who, who I don't think are reliable, who I don't really trust their, their thoughts very much, who have said that. And I'm like, okay, let me ask a few questions. And I ask him a few more questions and I'm like, oh, well, I don't really think that's a useful data point to the kind of data that I'm collecting. That's a huge long aside. It's so long. Now it's 158 AM that I don't even really totally remember my train of thought, but I think I can wrap things up nicely. Um, don't make assumptions. Let mold avoidance surprise you. Do sabbaticals. Don't be, don't outsmart your sabbatical and realize that there can be clues that, oh, I know the last point I was going to make. I was going to make one more point and this is an important point. Okay. Then we'll be done. The important point is that one of the inevitable problems that arises as a result of this stair stepping down and, and getting rid of contamination sort of over and over again till you're done, which may be sooner or later, depending on how sick you are, whatever your mold avoidance skills, who knows, is the need to make flexibility effortless. And this is, if people don't listen to this advice, because I have a whole podcast episode called Making Flexibility Effortless. I hope you have listened to it or will listen to it. But this is, if people don't adopt that advice, they're going to be really upset and unhappy campers. Hey, unhappy campers. that You get it? Because mold avoiders camp. Um, because you do need to leave things behind. 
Um, I don't want to get into a debate and, you know, a fight about, because some people say, oh, you don't need to, you can live in the same apartment for years and years. I don't know. Okay. I couldn't, I couldn't, I had a lot of bad stuff coming out. In fact, we have a name for the bad stuff. We call it the waterfall of toxins where you just are experiencing toxicity coming out of your pores and your breath and you're going to the bathroom and everything. It's just flowing out of you. That's the good sign. That's what you want to happen as a sign of recovery. And that waterfall of toxins can come out for a long time, a couple of years even. If you don't have the waterfall of toxins, um, then you might not be clear enough, right? Like I kept hearing about this waterfall of toxins and I was like, that makes no sense to me, blah, blah, blah. And I kept doing mold avoidance. It did more and more and more and more and more. And finally, one day I was like, oh, I think I have the waterfall of toxins. So that's why you have to commit to really doing mold avoidance, like a lot of it, because it's really long-term. Your body has to catch up on a lot of stuff. So um, it's not surprising that we ruin spaces during mold avoidance. And a space can be, you know, your sleeping bag. It could be a whole RV. It could be a whole hotel room. It could be a rental house. I really don't know. It's your journey, but you really do need to make flexibility effortless while you're doing mold avoidance, maybe not forever, but while you're doing mold avoidance, you cannot think of housing or shelter or even belongings and shirts and stuff as like my wife would say, our forever home, right? Oh, we moved into our forever home. We love it. You can't think of anything like that with mold avoidance. You always have to be thinking about how do I get in? How do I get out? What's the exit plan? What's the backup plan? How do I get in? How do I get out? I think about how do I get in and how do I get out of a t-shirt? <laughs> like I buy $2 t-shirts at Walmart still, a six pack of shirts that end up being $2 each. Cause I'm like, oh, you know, especially with clothing, and it's not so much that that I that you can't wash any toxins out. It's just that sometimes, you know, it's hard to do laundry or whatever. And you're like, I there's a really bad toxin on the shirt. You're just like, I don't want to deal with this. So you you have a $2 t-shirt. Um, I think about how do I get in and out of an RV? You know, what's the resale value? I think of how do I get in, in and out of a hotel room? I've recently fallen back in love with hotels, okay? I have a long, for a long time advocated that I don't do hotels. I haven't advocated for others to not do it, but I have not done it. Um, it's just never worked for me, but I think I'm finally at the point in my recovery now where I'm like ready for hotels. I know that sounds funny because you're supposed to do hotels early on. And, and I did do some hotels early on, but I didn't ever crave hotels, right? Like my intuition always said, you need to be out in a national park on BLM land at a campground at an RV park, you know, sleeping in an RV with the windows open, going on walks, not in some hotel where there's like hallways and parking lots and Burger Kings and cell phone towers. My body just did not want that. So I listened to my intuition and I didn't do a lot of hotels, but there are some great things about hotels. Obviously in a hotel, you have zero commitment, right? You have one night commitment at a time, which is hugely awesome. If you show up at a hotel with $50 of Walmart clothes, or let's, let's even say less. By the way, sorry about all the random weird pauses in this podcast episode. I have an alarm going off on my phone that I'm too lazy to turn off. Um, so that means we're at like 25 minutes or something. Um, <clears throat> if you show up, up at a hotel and you have $20 of Walmart clothes, you have $10 of snacks, um, and then you have the night 
hotel, which actually, even though it's 150 bucks, remember, you'd be paying for housing somewhere else anyway, right? You'd be paying a mortgage or rent or something. So it's really not. I mean, it's more expensive than than rent for sure. But you have to remember that that the 150 bucks a night or whatever, minus what your housing used to cost, right? Because your your old house was half of that or whatever. So it's it's pretty flexible. You get clean sheets, clean towels. I, I recently had another thought about a hotel room that's kind of nice, that you get to check it before you commit, right? Like if the front desk will let you poke your head in or whatever, and it's done, it's ready for you. It's clean, it's done. So whatever you smell in there is gonna be what you smell in there versus if you're trying to rent a house and the previous tenants are on their way moving out and you're like, oh, I don't know how this place is gonna feel. What's it gonna be like? Or if you go and do escrow on a house and it's a 45 day escrow and you're like, oh, is it gonna be the same after 45 days? Oh my gosh, I don't really know. Um, you know, so that's what's great about a hotel room. Or if you buy an RV and you're like, oh, are they really going to deliver it to me uncontaminated? What if they, you know, so hotel rooms, you just get into one, you, you get it, you, you move on. So make flexibility effortless. Be thinking about getting in and out of whatever, right? And that is one thing that I have done well, or at least relatively well. You can't do it perfectly because it always sucks, right? We would rather not be chronically ill be in the same house, sit and watch Netflix, order Chinese food and and not have to throw a shirt away. So it's never that it's great. It's just that I, with this time when I came back from my sabbatical, it was, it wasn't a big deal. Cause I was like, Oh, I prepared for this. I made flexibility effortless with this object, even though I did not expect this to be the problem because I've just built flexibility being effortless into my life. It's just automatic. I just make flexibility effortless. It's just a matter of course. It's a matter of life. You have to, you have to do it, um, with this illness. And if anyone tells you otherwise, uh, then they know of some miracle that I don't know about and go follow them and listen to them and cancel me immediately because I just don't, I don't see it in practice. It's one thing what people say. It's another thing what people do. And I'm talking about people who have achieved some high degree of recovery, who are highly functional, you know, they usually make flexibility effortless. They don't get stuck in those situations where they're like, oh my gosh, I'm upside down on my mortgage. You know, I'm this or I'm that, right? It's like, well, why'd you get a mortgage? You should have known that that house might go bad. Don't get a mortgage or whatever the situation might be. Um, Unless you can afford to take the hit of losing that house and being underwater, whatever. And I, I know that it's not perfect. And I know, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad because we all get into stupid shit and it happens, right? It's, it's just, it's inevitable that, that we, that we, that we're not optimized. Um, the, in this particular case, I should have got rid of this object months ago and it would have been more optimal on a number of levels, but I didn't because I was dumb and I was like, you know, um, just not thinking it it, it kind of goes back to um here here's a here's a way that I okay this is good you you guys you 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 lucky few who listen to the end this is the best part right maybe you're trained now like a dog to listen to the end you guys are like it's like my dog Lexi you know she knows when I say certain words she's going to get a treat maybe you guys know there's a treat coming at the end i'm i'm joking you guys okay just relax karen don't be karen all right I'm obviously in a goofy mood. I'm joking a lot in this podcast episode. So just take a deep breath. Don't take it too seriously. All right, just relax. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. But here is the 
snacky cake. That's what my friend Nick used to always call his treats that he would give his dogs. I don't know why. My best friend, I've known him for 25 years, he called him snacky cakes. Here's the snacky cake at the end of the podcast. Um, if you find yourself down the road of mold avoidance and something's not going how you want it to go, even in a little way or a big way, don't look for advanced solutions. Look back to the basics. Don't look in the in the in front of you. Look in the rearview mirror. Look at the mold avoidance basics. Did you take a shower? Do you need to do a sabbatical? Um, do are you paying attention to the outdoor air? Did the outdoor air change? Maybe right. Do do you need to conduct an experiment to find out which one of those things? is the problem. Um, it's, it's way underestimated the simple act of if you're, if you're having a crappy day, you don't know what's going on. And hopefully this will become intuitive to you guys at some point, have some Walmart clothes ready to go that feel good to you that you already washed or whatever. Take a shower, get in your car. I don't care if your car's contaminated. It ain't that contaminated. You can still do this in most cases. All right. There were maybe 10% of mold avoidance where my car was so contaminated that I couldn't do this at all. But most of the time, even if your car feels like crap, you'll still be okay. This will still work. Get in your car. After you take a shower, go on a drive, get to a new place that's 20 or 30 minutes away. Get out of your car. If it's safe, if it's not the hood or the, the, you know, the ghetto, get out of your car and go on a 20 minute walk. What do you notice? Get back in your car, drive for another half an hour, go on another 20 minute walk in a different place. What do you notice? Get in your car, go another 20 minutes. Now, during this time, there are a lot of moving parts. You're, you're killing like 50 birds with the same stone by just doing that one exercise. There's all kinds of information that's going to be coming to you and telling you what's going on, right? Go back to your property. Don't go straight in your house. Don't go straight in your rental house when you get back to your property. That's wasting this opportunity. Get in the driveway. Get out of the car in the driveway 50 feet from your house. Walk around outside for a few minutes. What do you notice? Oh, the air feels weird here and bad. Oh, that's not good. Well, wait a minute. Is it the neighbor's house? Is it the wind blowing from down the street? Or is it your house? Go go, get a little closer to your house. Don't go in yet. You're wasting the opportunity. Don't go inside your house yet. Get 10 feet away from your house yet. Is it getting stronger? Okay, go sniff the outside of your house. Don't go in yet. Don't go in yet. Go sniff the outside of your house. Is it your house? Once you go in to your house back inside, and if your house slams you or something happens, now now the experiment's over. Now you can't do any more experimenting because you're already like screwed up. So do the driving, do the going on a walk in various areas, roll down the windows, go back to your house and approach your house slowly, but surely. And I, why did I say slowly, but surely that that's not what I meant. See, it's two ten AM. Now, the only reason I can do this is because my family is not with me right now and I can stay up late, sleep in, play video games, do chores, whatever. It's like, I'm a bachelor. I do really miss my family though. I would rather have my family. Um, if you are in a situation where things are not going how you want them to in whatever way, go back to the basics. Don't think more advanced. 
And this is where I went wrong in the last year or so, I would say. I was like, I've already done enough mold avoidance. I'm pretty much recovered. Anything that I'm still experiencing must be open up my alternative medicine, flip to page 942 of the pharmacopoeia of alternative medicine, read that one super fancy doctor that says that I should, you know, do this and that and this and that and this and that. And no, 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 no. This thing that I was dealing with, which again, I hand on a Bible was only 3% of my first sabbatical. So it wasn't really life changing, but I did want to get rid of it. I was bothered by it. Um, this was accomplished by going back to the basics, back to the basics, right? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do treatments during mold avoidance, because I know the Karens, the, the Casita carpet Karens are going to come out and say, I thought you said you should treat parasites, Brian. I thought you said you should do, you know, this and that. I thought you liked 10 pass ozone, Brian. Yes, but here's the problem. Our lizard brain... Have you ever read Seth Godin? He's a great author. He wrote about alternative education and all this other stuff. Really like him. He coined the term lizard brain. Our lizard brain easily goes to treatments. We're all going to do the treatments, right? Like, like we're, we're doing the treatments. We're, we are doing the treatments. We're going to have a treatment party. Everybody loves treatments. It's been ingrained in our brain to do treatments. Um, you do have to be careful of which treatments to do because... Moldavoiders, experienced moldavoiders have learned that certain treatments for people who have this illness are basically all the same. So don't be too creative. Ask experienced moldavoiders what treatments work because there's a million treatments and you only need 10, right? Or 20. But I, I, I'm not worried about you not doing enough treatments. I'm pretty sure that the temptation is going to overcome you to do the treatments. I'm pretty sure that's not going to be your problem. On the other hand, what will probably be your problem sooner or later is forgetting the mold avoidance basics, thinking that you don't need them anymore, which may not be an arrogance or a pride or anything like that. It might just be natural human progression to think that, oh, I've outgrown that phase of mold avoidance or whatever the reason may be. Distraction, forgetfulness, some of the mold avoidance stuff I had just flat out forgot because it happened too long ago. But if you are like normal people who have already been brainwashed to do treatments, your problem is probably not going to be that you um, didn't do enough treatments. Your problem is you're, you're going to be like, you're, you've got that base covered. You got your health food store, you got your basket, you're shopping, you're getting the parasite treatments. You're, you're doing too much. You're being like, oh, I did too many treatments. That's going to be you, right? I promise. <laughs> um, but what's probably harder, and the reason I think this is a valuable podcast episode is that I think there will be a tendency, especially later on, like I am later on, I consider myself much later on, um, to forget the basics. So that's the message for tonight. Just very simple. Number one, go back to the basics, do sabbaticals. Um, and number two, keep flexibility effortless forever. Keep flexibility effortless forever. Um, now, it doesn't have to be quite as crazy. I'm not saying that. But um, you still should keep flexibility effortless forever. And, and, and that doesn't mean that you don't ever get to own a house or live in a house um, or, you know, have stability or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. Y many people make money owning houses, right? And they're actually better off. They're, they're actually, you know, 
money money gives you flexibility. So if you buy a house and you make money on it, then you actually have more flexibility than somebody who didn't do that. All I'm saying, I'm not trying to be, I'm, I don't want Karens coming at me. I'm to say, well, you, you, you say you can never buy a house. All I'm saying is that you should think about this stuff. You should think about what if I buy this house and I think I'm ready and something doesn't work out. Okay. What if, can I handle it? What do I do? What's plan B, plan C, plan D. This is not easy stuff for brain compromised people to figure out right? This is not the top skill of mold avoiders. We might be good at hand washing laundry. We might be good at going on hikes. Um, but we're, we're really good at fighting and bickering on the forums, but what we're not so good at is thinking through things. So maybe when you have your most clear day, I do this sometimes, this is a mold avoidance skill. Let's say you wake up one morning and you feel unusually good and you have your coffee and you feel even better and you go on a hike and you're three miles into the hike and your brain is just working. I mean, you are feeling it. You are, you're, you're, your brain's working the best it's worked in, in months. And you, you're like, I have two hours up here before the sun sets. Okay. Don't spend, don't spend those two hours calling to fight with your mom or checking Facebook. You're like, oh, I'm just going to get my phone out. I'm going to check Facebook, right? Don't spend those two hours um, taking a nap. Don't spend those two hours checking your email, right? Or like doing the little dopamine behaviors that we do, watching TikTok, watching Instagram reels, checking your email, responding to some trivial email about this, checking what your electric bill is to see if you can pay for it. What should you do with those two hours of the clearest brain you've had in months? What should you do? We're going to have a moment of silence where you're going to think about it. It's a pop quiz. Okay. Okay. What did you come up with? I hope you said that with those two hours, you are going to think about your most complicated problem in mold avoidance. I know that's not very exciting, but trust me, you want to use your highest brain power to think about your most complicated problem. That's a mold avoidance skill, right? So if you're about to rent a house or buy a house or buy an RV or whatever, but it's it's complicated, there's variables. How am I going to pay for it? What about this? It can't get delivered till then. You're going to sit on a rock after you woke up feeling good, after you had your coffee, after you went on a hike when your brain is just firing on all cylinders, and you're going to think about your most pressing problem. And you might even take some notes on your iPhone or whatever. Open the notes app and, and write down some notes and make, make some things happen. That's what you do. So I'm not saying not to buy a house ever, not to rent a nice house, not to live on a houseboat. I don't even know. Whatever, whatever your goal is, I'm not saying not to do it. What I'm saying is to take some moments of clarity and of perception and think through, analyze, and be realistic don't be optimistic, be realistic about whatever you're getting yourself into. And that will allow you to keep flexibility effortless while improving your life at the same time. Now, if that sounds kind of tricky, um, I'm sorry. That's just the best I've, I've found, the best way to do it that I've found. Um, there are going to be some people who are like, Brian's dumb. I do it a totally different way. It works better for me. Follow me instead. And you know what? I don't get my feelings hurt about that. There may be more than one way to skin the cat, and there may even be different flavors of this illness that require different approaches. You know what I mean? Like, 
um, it, it's not a one size fits all. So I'm not, I'm not standing here, um, at 2:20 AM telling you to just do it my way. This is, this is why I like the, the idea of a mold avoidance toolbox. What is a toolbox? It's, it's a place where there's lots of different tools and you pick out the one that you need. You don't, it doesn't hurt the screwdriver's feelings if you need a hammer or it doesn't hurt the levels feelings if you need a tape measure, right? So these, these are the mold, this is the mold avoidance toolbox. Everybody's situation will be a little bit different. Um, but you should have the tools, right? You should have tools. Some of these things I've talked, I've probably covered five to seven mold avoidance tools tonight. You should have them. You may never use them. You may not like them. They may not work as well for you as they do for me, but it's a good idea to have them and to be working on them and practicing mold avoidance skills so that they're there if you need it, right? It's like a carpenter who goes to, a there's my stupid alarm again. Um, it's like a carpenter who goes to a house and has all the tools. You know, I always see someone like that and I'm like jealous of their skills, you know? Actually, my brother-in-law does that. He's a level three engineer at a large hotel chain, a chain of hotels, level three engineer. That means he knows everything. He's, he's not the guy that they call to fix a hole in the wall or the TV. He's the guy they call to fix the, you know, air conditioning system for the whole building or yeah, he knows everything. He's, he's a systems engineer for the hotel and he can do whatever needs to be done. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, but I'm always like, man, I wish that's pretty cool. I wish I had that skill, right? So that's what we want to be as mold avoiders. We don't want to just copy Brian or do what he says. We want to have our own tools, our own skills that, um, that we use. Okay. I could keep going. I'm pretty much, this is a good episode. Um, and I think the reason that this is a good episode is because of my sabbatical. I kind of came back a new person. I came back refreshed. I came back higher on the power curve. You, you know what's interesting about a sabbatical? It's not just for um, identification of bad objects. Like that's kind of how it starts out. You know, when you're first a mold avoider, you hear to go take a sabbatical, come back to your house, see if you react to it. That's more reliable than testing that's kind of the basics. But later on, you can also use sabbaticals to um, reduce exposure to whatever toxins you're most often exposed to so that your body can become more resilient to those when you get back and, and maybe even tolerate them better, which is like the, the woman that I always mention in my podcast. She's really famous because I talk about her every time. And she's probably like, shut up. Don't talk about me. But don't worry. I'm not going to say your name. <laughs> But she told me once, and this has always stuck with me because it's fascinating, and you guys have heard it already in my podcast, but I'm going to say it again, that as long as she does two weeks per year in Death Valley, which it doesn't really matter that it's Death Valley. That's just a place she feels good. I didn't feel that good in Death Valley, but it doesn't matter. Two weeks a year in a place that she feels good, then she can live in a city that most people consider to be pretty bad, not horrible, but not great. So two weeks in a good location, right? That's like a sabbatical. So that's like a sabbatical. And that is um, one way to get higher on the power curve. Now, do you remember in the Matrix when Morpheus... So Neo asks Morpheus, he's saying... He says, so you mean I, I can dodge bullets? And Morpheus says, when you're ready, you won't have to. And everybody's like, whoa, that took it to another level. 
Um, I'll take it to the next level right now. I bet you never considered this. It's actually one in the same. Going on a sabbatical to feel better and get away from toxins like this woman does two weeks a year is actually the same effect as going on a sabbatical to tell if your objects are bad, right? Because when you go away from the objects in the house that's making you sick, um, what you're really doing is you're giving your body a little bit of recovery, a little teeny bit of recovery. And then you, your body's like, oh, oh, okay, we're going to start detoxing. We're, we're flowing, we're sweating, we're, we're moving and grooving, right? We're turning detox back on. It didn't want to detox in the moldy house. Then you go back to your moldy house and your body's like, holy crap, our defenses are down. Shields are down. This really hurts. Put the shields back up. And unfortunately, one of the side effects of the shields being back up is that detox turns off, all the infections go crazy, and you get sick again. So it's actually one in the same. Um, now, as you progress through recovery, you you won't need to be clear as much. And th- these quote-unquote sabbaticals, whatever you want to call them, now I'm really confusing you guys, um, don't need to be as often or as clear because you're more recovered. So... That's how you tie it all up in a nice bow is that you are going to need these sabbaticals anyway, or at least they're really going to help. I think, I think, and and this is a funny thing. This is a funny thing that I, okay. So, um, I talk to a lot of mold avoiders who are further along than me and you guys probably don't really hear much from them because what I've noticed about a lot of the ones who are further along than me is they just don't hang out on the groups, right? They don't really sit around. Um, I'm one of the ones that stayed and helps people, whatever, you know, I, I, I don't know why it just, I've, I, I've been an alternative medicine publisher and journalist for many years. It's kind of a passion of mine because it's really fascinating to like to find stuff out that, that the, the medical establishment has no clue about. And I don't mean me finding it out and discovering it. As I always say, I take credit for none of this. I just mean to just be on this path. It's interesting, but, um, one of the things, oh, and just as a little aside, the, I think there's a honeymoon s- spot or a sweet spot where um, mold avoiders really do want to help people, most mold avoiders. And it's like two or three years to about like five years where they're like recovering and they're excited. So if you want to find a mentor, look for somebody who's like two to five years into avoidance or even one to five years. And you'll find people that are like overflowing with passion and excitement. And it's very cool. It's a very, it's a very special time to be in a place where you know enough that you can be useful to people, but you're not burned out yet or ready to move on. But anyway, the point I was going to make about these experienced mold avoiders who have just kind of moved on or they they're in the forums and you don't even know it. They make a comment on a thread and everybody just glances over it and moves on to the next casita carpet Karen comment. And I'm like, I'm scratching my head. I'm like, I don't really want to point this person out because I don't want to like embarrass them or single them out. But I'm like, did, did everybody realize that that comment up there was the one you should listen to? <laughs> right? Like that's the one, but I don't say anything. You can't stop Karen's right. They have to figure out their own path. Um, but one thing I notice about these experienced mold avoiders is that they travel a lot. A lot of them travel a lot. Um, so not all of them. There are a couple that are like, oh, I hate traveling. I never want to travel again. Those are the ones that tend to live in really good locations, I think, because they're, they're, they just don't really feel that need. But I think that people who try to push the limits a little bit, 
tend to travel a lot. They like to travel. They're, they just go on random trips, right? And now I kind of understand why. It's the lady in San Francisco that could do two weeks a year in Death Valley and feel great in San Francisco. That's what she needed. Um, and and I wasn't really expecting this this trip to be as useful as it was to me. And, and it was useful on both of those levels. Remember, we just talked about how the sabbatical can unmask you to bad objects. And that's what my whole podcast was about, was this bad object that surprised me. But the sabbatical can also boost you on the power curve. Even if you're going to a place with other toxins, they're different toxins than the ones that are that your body's you know overloaded with. Um, this is why I always used to joke that mold avoiders are passing each other on the highway doing mold avoidance, thinking that the other person's state is better. It's so funny when you're in early mold avoidance and everybody's in the circus phase. I call it the circus phase where um, you're just driving around like a chicken with his head cut off. One person's going to Nevada from Idaho. One person's going to Idaho from Nevada. And they both think that each other's state is better. Well, maybe there's actually some truth to that. Because, you know, in addition to, of course, the, the main primary toxins like MT and FRAT, I do think there's a lot of individual variability for what toxins you grew up around, what affects you more, what, you know, you have more of a problem with. Um, that's why some people can live in the Midwest and other people, you know, the, the fracking and the, the glyphosate and the ag and all the stuff, they just wipes them out. So, um, and, and that's why my mentor always says there's no such thing as a safe place or a safe building. There are only buildings and places that are safe for certain people at certain points in time. It's worth repeating. There's no such thing as a safe building or safe location. There are only buildings and location that are safe for certain people at certain points in time. So this, this movement and flexibility is important. Uh, now, I'm just going to end with this one thing because I got to appease the Karens. I'm gonna, the, these Karens are going to keep me up at night if I don't mention this. Um, there may be some people who don't need to do this, right? They do a little mold avoidance. They go camping three times. Um, they take a 17 showers. They do brain retraining, whatever, and they live in the same apartment for the rest of their life, and they're fine. Again, it's the same thing I just said about the tools. You have the tools, you might not need to use them. If you don't need to use them, that's okay. If you can just take 17 showers, camp for 47 nights, um, do three rounds of parasite treatment, and then just move into an apartment and live happily ever after and never think about mold again, okay, great. I'm not against that. I am not against a mold avoider who doesn't need all the tools. I'm totally cool with that. Um, I don't hear about it as often. And I think that there is tremendous financial peril in expecting that because you might get yourself into a bad pinch. So it kind of goes back to the saying, plan for the worst, hope for the best. That would be my advice to that person. Okay, it's going great. Okay, you think you're moving into the apartment for the rest of your life and you don't have to think about these mold avoidance skills. Okay, great. Um, go ahead and do that, but have a backup plan, okay? N listen to the whole podcast. Know what could happen. Know the reasons for why it can happen. And just kind of go on that hike, drink the coffee, think it through, have a backup plan. I'm not, I'm not trying to stop you. More power to you. You know, I have a fan, I have a friend, I have some friends that are a mold avoider family, they weren't as sick as me. And I know everybody has this contest for being sick, but she will readily admit that she wasn't as sick as me. She only lived in mold for like seven years of her life, 
40 years, 40 year old person. Whereas I think pretty sure I was born in mold and when I was sick as a child. She was never sick as a child. And they, they pretty much, you know, no, no, they, they actually did have a lot of drama early on in mold avoidance and a lot of, sp- they did spend a lot of money that they might not have had to spend. I'm not pointing the finger at them because boy, oh boy, did I do the same thing, but they do now just, it just kind of, you know, they're, they're kind of set, but ironically, she is one of the smartest mold avoiders I know and taught me a tremendous amount. This is a mentor that I have not really spoken about on my podcast. And um, she's not in the mold groups, hasn't been for many, many years. But she taught me a lot of what I know. So she obviously was smart enough to know that she should have the tools even if she doesn't need them. And and boy, oh boy, if something does pop up, she's ready for it. She's She's on it. She's the one who said, she's the one, she's one of the people who told me no home is forever. No home is forever. Um, she, she moves into a home and fixes it up as they're living there and is always sort of just getting ready to sell it. Right. So, so do you see what I mean? This is, this is actually confirming the validity of my podcast right now. You know, sometimes you, you get up on stage like this and you talk for a whole hour and you're like, holy shit, what if that was just garbage and I wasted everybody's time? Um, which thankfully you guys do give me feedback and you do say my podcasts are helpful. I really appreciate the feedback. Otherwise I'd probably just move on with life because it's, you know, it's a labor of love more than it is anything else. But this is confirming the message because as I observe her, an outside onlooker like you guys or whoever might look at her and say, well, she's not doing what you're saying, Brian. She's, um, just living happily ever after. She's not traveling. She's not making flexibility effortless. Oh, but she is. She is. Um, She really is. It's just that her level of avoidance, what she needs to stay well and healthy, isn't quite as extreme as some other people. And that's totally fine. You can do that. That's great. You know, I'm not saying that people should just go do extreme mold avoidance if they don't need to do it. Right? Nobody's saying that. If you took the the Schumacher protocol and and got better and you're healthy, then wonderful. I'm not, I'm, I'm agnostic toward any of these treatments or approaches. You know, I'm not, um, I don't care. And, And I think it's, it's great if you can do whatever it takes to get well, right? That's the goal. Okay. 54 minutes. I have not made a podcast this long in a really long time. And I think it's probably because of this 30 day sabbatical that I took that I have these fresh thoughts and perspective on mold avoidance because, um, that's what sabbaticals do. Um, it's, it's funny. I, I remember when I was moderately sick with mold illness, not super sick yet. You know, we all wish we could rewind to that point. And my wife and I used to go out of town for, for, oh, we love to travel, right? We should have known we were mold avoiders because, you know, we were like, we love to travel. And it was probably like our body's telling us, get the freak out of Dodge, get out of here. But we would always come back from a trip and I would always tell my wife on the way home, I always remember getting over Echo Summit on the way back to Lake Tahoe. And there was always this one point in Echo Summit, just a beautiful mountain drive that I would tell my wife, I was like, I feel so mentally refreshed and recharged. Um, and it was like we were taking a sabbatical, right? We, we literally were doing the thing. And, um, and of course, we would get back and I would do feel great for a few days and then I would start to tank and I didn't know why, blah, blah, blah. You know the story. So that's the message for today. 55-minute podcast. Um, and I will... 
plug my premium podcast episodes. So please subscribe to my premium podcast episodes. 70% of my um, episodes and some of the most important ones I put behind a $10 a month paywall. So you have to pay $10 a month to hear a lot of the good ones. And I know all the Karens are going to say, you know, whatever their reason is for thinking I shouldn't make my $10 a month. And the, uh, you know, doctor that didn't help anyone get over mold illness makes, you know, a mil a year, but my $10 a month is the problem. The Karens will, will sure say that. So that's okay. That's okay. I, 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 I'm not, I, I, I'll live in peace with the Karens. Okay. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not that mad about it, but there will be the Karens. But anyway, if you haven't already check out my premium podcast episodes, um, it's rare that I do one this long as a free episode. I'm trying to keep the real deep content in that. It's just, you know, it pays for my, my website and my, this Podbean service is, you know, relatively expensive and it's, it's a little more fun to try to grow a little, a little audience, a little side business. That's kind of keeps me, me motivated. So as long as people are willing to pay, um, I'll keep doing it and, uh, check it out if you feel so inclined. Um, just my little disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. I'm not a licensed, you know, professional in any subject, RVs, health, any of that stuff. So everything I've shared in this podcast is just for informational purposes only. Um, just my own personal opinion, my own personal story. None of it is, is any, any advice you should follow. You shouldn't do any of it. It could be dangerous, could cause you to waste money because could cause you to have regrets. I really don't know, but make sure you, um, whatever you're planning on doing next, make sure you run it by licensed professionals in whatever the appropriate field is. Thanks for listening.